0: We're going to be starting a brand new series today and I want to, I want to start today by asking you a simple question and I want you to give me some responses if you can very quickly. We won't take a lot of time. But what do you believe is the greatest idol in the American church today? What's that? Facebook, okay. Anybody else? TikTok, OK, so well, we'll just say, social media, we'll jump, <laughs> put those all together. Any, anybody else? I'm sure you have some other. If you thought about it, some people might say money or finances or or uh, comfort and that sort of thing. There's all kinds of things that we can do. We could say. And all of these things are certainly major issues in the church today. But I want to s- assert to you. Something that, that may sound very odd to you, and you may not agree with me at first, but I'm going to explain it to you. But I would like to assert to you that the, that the, the biggest idol in the American church is friendship. It's friendship. And you, say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? I thought relationships were important. Well, relationships are extremely important, but many Christians have relationships with friends that are even more important than obeying God and and, and relationships are important, but they aren't that important. And and, and in fact, you know, I I believe that most of us would never compromise our faith or our convictions for money or material gain. Most of us wouldn't compromise our our faith for, for, uh, uh, you know, for, even if it was, we were threatened with violence, we wouldn't compromise our faith for anything that the world has to offer. However, I believe many, many Christians are willing to compromise what they believe, sometimes very quickly, if they think a friend is going to be upset with them. I'll give you a simple example. Say the Lord laid on your heart that you needed to go uh, say something to one of your friends, and, and, the, and the Lord is speaking to you very clearly that you need to do this, but you're afraid your friend is going to be offended if you do it, and so we choose to honor the friendship rather than obey God. And friendship ends up coming in place before God. That's why I say I think it's it's a very insidious and very uh, uh, hidden uh, idol that it's in the American church. In fact, in fact I think friendship is an intoxicating idol uh, because people are terrified of losing a friend and therefore become controlled by that friendship. And my question is, is that what friendship is supposed to be all about? No, it's absolutely not. Does true friendship walk on eggshells every time there's an issue that needs to be dealt with? We've we've mentioned in recent weeks that, that we have to have relationships that are deep enough to sustain conflict. And if you have a friendship that won't sustain conflict, then that is a very shallow friendship. And so does true friendship ignore character issues in a person's life because they don't want to offend them? Does true friendship allow destructive behavior to continue unchallenged to avoid an uncomfortable situation? Well, I don't believe that God defines friendship that way. I believe that a friend is willing to take risks in a relationship in order to help his or her friend grow and to flourish. In fact, I love what it says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6 where it says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I like how it says in the NCV, the slap of a friend can be trusted to help you, but the kisses of an enemy are nothing but lies. In other words, a real friend tells you the truth because he loves you, even if it is painful for you to hear, even if it is hard to deal with. Someone who doesn't love you will simply tell you what you want to hear. So for the next few weeks I want to look at how a friend should act in a series of messages we're just called calling friends don't let friends. How many of you remember the old you know the old slogan the campaign they did years ago friends don't let friends drive drunk. That sort of thing. Well, we're just going to play off of that phrase and we're going to be talking about in this series called friends don't let friends. We're going to be talking about friendship. What does it mean To be a friend, how can I become a better, more godly friend to the friends that I have? So today, I want to talk about how a friend should respond when a friend gets caught in the trap of sinning with their tongue. Specifically, today, talking about gossiping and complaining. Now, the next couple weeks, uh, two or three weeks, are going to be very different than today. But, but the, the truth is, the way we speak reveals a great deal about our Christian character. The tongue is a powerful influence in the church. In fact, I, start, I said the way we speak says, reveals a great deal about our Christian character. But what does the Bible says? Out of the abundance of what? The heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what, we, what comes out of our mouth reveals what's really going on inside. And the tongue is a very powerful influence in the church and and your tongue is able to build people up or it's able to tear people down. The tongue is responsible for some of the most destructive sins in the church. James put it like this. He said, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. That is really powerful. And two of the sins of the tongue that the Bible talks a lot about are the sins of gossip and complaining. Gossip and complaining are are cousins uh, cousins of, of sins of the tongue, and they're destructive. They are divisive in the body of Christ, And since they are so destructive in in the body of Christ and in in friendships and relationships and even in the person uh, who's caught up in this, since they're so destructive, a real friend, a true godly friend, won't just ignore it because friends don't let friends gossip and complain. So let's start by looking. Actually, we're going to begin with complaining. Um, I, I heard a story about a man whose goal in life was to become a monk. I, I think you ought to set your sights high, but this was his goal, and that's what he wanted to do. And he, he just loved the thought uh, of the simple life in a monastery, away from everything, just a you know that that kind of life. And so one day he went to a monastery and talked to the head monk. And he, he went to the head monk and he said, what do I need to do to join? I want to be part of this. What do I need to join to do to join? So the head monk looked at him and he said, well, you know, listen, it's not an easy lifestyle. In our monastery, monks are only allowed to say two words every year. That's it. And the man responded. Some of you are like, I'm out. <laughs> You're already saying that. But the man responded, OK, well, that, that sounds a bit extreme, but but I've wanted to be a monk for so long going to i'm going to give it a try so he was shown to his room and for the next 12 months the man never said a word at the end of the first year he was taken to the head monk and but the time had come for him to finally speak his two words for the year and the man looked at the at the head of the monastery and said food's bad and he went back to his room and remained silent for another 12 months At the end of his second year, he he was again taken to the head monk for for his two words. And this time he walked into the office. He looked at the head monk and he said, bed's hard. And he walked out back to his room. Well, another 12 months of silence passes. And he was brought before the head monk again for his annual two words. And the man looked at the head monk and he said, I quit. And the head monk looked at him. He said, well, I'm not surprised. All you've done since you've got here is complain. (laughs) <laughs> well, listen, complaining is a serious issue. It's, it's something that God takes seriously. So how does God feel about complaining? I want to look. We, we know there was a group of people that wandered the wilderness for a while. They had a problem with complaining. They, don't You know who I'm talking about, right? The Israelites. I want to look at one of the instances where we see this. And I want you to see what happens and God's response and we're going to get into this today. So let's look at Numbers chapter 11. We're going to pick it up in verse one. Soon the people began to complain about their hardship and the Lord heard everything they said. Well, right there. Listen, that's already a scary verse right there. It says they started complaining and the Lord heard every word they said. That alone should keep us, help us to hold our tongue from time to time. To, to, to remember those words, the Lord heard every word they said. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them and he sent a fire to rage among them and he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people screamed to Moses for help and when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. After that, the area was known as Tibera, which means the place of burning because fire from the Lord had burned among them there. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt and the people of Israel also began to complain Oh, for some meat, they explain exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. They're leaving out the part, they ate it for free, but they were slaves. And we, and we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. Manna, manna, manna. Well, that part's not in there, but that's how I pictured it in my mind uh, talking about this. Verse 7. The manna looked like small coriander seeds, and it was pale yellow like gum resin. The people would go out and gather it from the ground. They made flour by grinding it with their hand mills or pounding it in mortars. Then they boiled it in a pot and made it it into flat cakes. These cakes tasted like pastries baked with olive oil. The manna came down on the camp with a dew during the night. Moses heard all the family standing in the doorways of the tents whining, and the Lord became extremely angry. And I, I actually find that next line kind of funny. Moses was also very aggravated. I, just, I don't know why that strikes me as funny. But, but, but we see here that God was taking this complaining very seriously. You know, complaining is known by many, many names. Uh, griping, grumbling, whining, belly aching. We use all these terms. The, the dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, defines complaining as an expression of unhappiness dissatisfaction, or discontent. So what we need to know is that complaining is an outward expression of an inward discontentedness. I don't like something, I'm discontent with something, so I will complain outwardly about it. So why is complaining such a big deal to God? Well, the the number one reason, and this is what we need to understand about complaining, is that complaining is a symptom of an ungrateful spirit. Complaining is a symptom of an ungrateful spirit. Complaining is a statement of discontent about my life. You look at the Israelites here, they had been set free from from slavery. God had performed miracle after miracle after miracle for the people of Israel. Yet they still complained because they weren't satisfied with what they had. God had sent set them free from slavery. Through a series of miraculous plagues, he parted the Red Sea in front of them so that they could walk through on dry land. And then on the heels of that, he destroyed the the pursuing Egyptian army, the most powerful army in the entire world. And he destroyed that so they would not have to fear the armies of Egypt ever coming after them again. He provided free meals every single day. Anybody think that's a pretty good perk? Free meals every single day, manna, and and we know from the scripture that he brought water from a rock to them, uh, out of a rock for them to drink. He he healed bitter water at one point in time, made it okay for them to drink. They 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 experienced the overwhelming presence of God at Mount Sinai. They saw that they were they were so afraid. They would they it was kind of funny because initially God said, "I want all the Israelites to come on up on the mountain." And they looked up all this cloud and thunder and lightning and the presence and the glory of God, and the the, the Israelites said, uh, "Moses, how about you go?" <laughs> they said they didn't want to go, but they were there. They saw all of that, and they they witnessed the glory of God filling the tabernacle in the in the uh, wilderness. And yet, all of that with all of that, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. See, we need to understand that when I complain, what I'm really saying is that what God has done in my life and what he has given to me is not good enough. That God says, here, I'm going to bless you with this. And then we walk out of that saying, I was really hoping for something more than that, God. How many of you have ever gotten a gift for one of your children and uh, then they complained because it wasn't what they wanted? That ever happened to any parent in here? Some of you, some of you, I can see the steam rising already. You know, you're remembering this and, and I hope your children survived today after you're remembering this. But, uh, but it's, it's a very frustrating thing, isn't it? When, when you go out of your way to do something for your kids and then all they do is complain. Maybe it was going to a restaurant. You go out, you're going to do something fun. You do something special and you go out and then and then all they do the whole time is complain about, about it's not what they wanted. And that's, that's exactly what it's like when we complain because God in His sovereignty he says, I'm going to bless you in this way. This is what I know you need. Not only this is what I know you need, but this is what I know you can handle. How many of you know not everybody can handle great riches? Right? Because some of it and that's I'm pretty sure that's why God doesn't give me riches because he's like, no, it'll destroy you, Dave. You're not getting that. But but then in response to what he gives us, we look around when we complain. What we're doing is we're saying, God, I see what you gave me. But this is not good enough. This is exactly what the Israelites are doing. He was giving them, in what we just read, he was giving them this manna, this food, this miraculous food that would just appear every single day. He was giving it to them so that they were not going to have to worry about, about uh, hunting. They weren't going to have to worry about trying to feed this massive amount of people. He said, here, I'm going to take care of you. Your needs are provided for. You're going to eat every day. You are not going hungry. And they started saying, you know, I sure wish we were back in Egypt where I could eat some fish. Forgetting the fact that they were slaves and that they begged God to set them free. So complaining is an affront to God because first of all, I'm telling God what you've given to me is not enough. Here's the second thing about complaining. Complaining is discouraging to the people of God. It's, it's discouraging to the people of God that are around you. Let's read on that same chapter, Numbers 11, beginning, in, we'll pick it up in verse 10 again. Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining, and the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. And Moses said to the Lord, listen, to, this is a very strong statement Moses says to God. Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people?" Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Listen, I can tell you right now, I've known a number of pastors. I've had moments that they felt like on a Monday morning after Sunday that they went to God and said, God, just kill me. Just take me home now. The, The complaining here of the people really got to Moses. In fact, we can see here he was ready to give up. He was ready to give up, not because God wasn't coming through, not because God wasn't trying to move, not because of any of these things, but he was ready to give up because he was listening to the people that God had called him to lead, and all they were doing was complaining about the very miracles of God that he was providing. God told Moses, if this is what it's going to be like, just kill me now. And here's what we need to know. Complaining is not only a sin against God, but complaining drains the strength and resolve of the people of God that are around you, particularly those in leadership, but not just leadership. It's your other brothers and sisters in Christ. And it crushes their motivation. Because when a person is complaining to a person who's believing God, then what happens is a negative and critical spirit clashes with the spirit of faith and it discourages those who believe God for what seems impossible. So it's a huge deal. But you know, complaining often leads to a second deadly sin of the tongue and that is gossiping. Because what we do is we complain, we complain. And then when we don't get our way, then what we do is we start going and talking to other people about what we don't like. There's, uh, I don't have a, a source for this quote, but I read a quote this week. that said, the things that go in one ear and out the other do not hurt as much as the things that go in one ear get all mixed up and then slip out of the mouth. So gossip, what is gossip? Merriam-Webster says that gossip is to disclose something often of questionable veracity that is better kept to oneself. And gossip in Scripture is closely related to slander. There's this old uh, preacher, he's with the Lord now. He was a Baptist preacher, his name was Mickey Bonner. Uh, uh, great, great preacher, r- great man of God. And He wrote a book on, on the tongue, and, and in this he had a quote about gossip. And he said this, Gossip is when you're not part of the problem or a part of the solution. In other words, he said if there's a problem, that you're not part of the circumstances that created it, and you're not part of the solution, And yet you talk about it, you're gossiping. And, and you know, here's the thing about what we do in the church. We like to camouflage it in the church. You know, and we, we camouflage it with excuses. We'll say things like maybe you've heard somebody say something like, well, it's not gossip if it's true. It's not gossip if it's true. Well, Frank Clark said gossip needn't be false to be evil. There's a lot of truth that shouldn't be passed around just because something may be true does not mean that it's not harmful and there have been many many times that people shared information that was factually correct but sharing that information did not help the person did not help the situation all it did was alienate people and make things worse so The, the, the barometer is not, is this, is it true? That's the starting point. We're going to come to that in a moment. That's the first thing. If it's not true, obviously you don't want to be repeating it. But just because it's true doesn't mean it's not gossip. Because it may be true, but maybe you're not part of the solution and all you're doing is stirring the pot and you're making things worse and pushing people away and causing division in the body of Christ. The second way we, we camouflage it. This is, we're, we're famous for this one. I'm only telling you this so that you know how to pray. Right? You ever heard, you ever heard that one? I'm not going to ask you if you ever used that one, but, but we, we like to, we like to use it that way. And, and what it does is it makes us sound really spiritual. But really what it is, what's happening is it's feeding our desire to make sure everybody knows we're on the inside, that we know what's going on and try to spread this, this gossip. But, but here's what we need to know. We have to understand we don't have to know all of the juicy details in order to pray for people i do not have to know the details about my my brother in christ and what's happening in his life in order to pray you know it's it's kind of crazy because as if as if uh, you know because we say well i just i just want to know because i have to pray specifically no god already knows the details And, and and to say that makes it sound like well if I don't pray the right way, then God's not going to answer the right way. I think God's bigger than that. I think he knows what's going on. I don't have to know the details. I can, I can go to him and, and, you know, he doesn't need me to fill him in on what's going on in somebody else's life. I can go to him and pray and, and just simply say, God, I don't know what's going on in that in my brother's life. I don't know what's happening with my sister. I don't know what's going on there, but I know there's something off. And I know they need your touch. And I begin to pray for them. And sometimes, you know what? Uh, sometimes I pray in the spirit when I'm praying for people like that. Because the spirit knows exactly what to say. And I may not understand it in the, in the spiritual language that he's given me. But listen, uh, God knows what's going on. You don't have to know the details. And so anytime, let me just say this, anytime somebody says that to you and says, well, listen, I'm going to tell you just so you know how to pray, just stop them and say, no, I don't need to know the details. I just need to know that I need to pray. And just pray. All right? So why is gossip dangerous? Some of these are, some of these are pretty obvious. The first one is obvious to me. Gossip causes division. Gossip causes division. Proverbs has a lot to say about this. Proverbs 16, 28. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Have you ever known somebody that used to be close with somebody else and they found out they were talking about them behind their back and all of a sudden they're not friends anymore? Gossip causes division. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever conceals an offense promotes love, but whoever gossips about it separates friends. In other words, even if you know there's something there, if you keep quiet, you can maintain division. But if you begin to gossip, you're going to cause separation. Proverbs 26, 20. Without wood, I like this one. Without wood, fire goes out. Without a gossip, conflict dies down. So gossip causes division. And we know that's not what God wants for His church. Number two, gossip Destroys your credibility. You may not think about this. Gossip, when you gossip, it destroys your credibility. Proverbs eleven thirteen 13 says, No one who gossips can be trusted with a secret, but you can put confidence in someone who is trustworthy. And Proverbs 20, 20, verse 19 says, A gossip can never keep a secret. Stay away from people who talk too much. There's an old Spanish proverb that I think we would do well to remember. And it says this, whoever gossips to you will gossip about you. So if you have a friend that likes to gossip to you, you can rest assured you you don't need to buy any stock in their credibility. Because I guarantee you that at the moment in the right situation with the right circumstances, that person will talk about you behind your back to somebody else. Every time. Absolutely. So it destroys your credibility. When I, when, when I hear somebody gossiping, I know I can't trust that person with any of my secrets, anything that's going on in my life. And so, because I know they're not credible. I know they're not going to be trustworthy. Here's another one. This is a huge one. And that is that damaging words can never be unsaid. They can never be unsaid. You can apologize for them. But you can't change the fact that you said him. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 through 37, Jesus said, you can be sure that on judgment day, everyone everyone will have to give account of every useless word he has ever spoken. Your words will be used to judge you, to declare you either innocent or guilty. You know, I heard a story about a woman who repeated a bit of gossip about a neighbor and within a short period of time, the whole town heard the story. They knew what was going on. And the person that the story was about, the person it concerned, was, was hurt very deeply. And they're obviously very, very unhappy about it. And then one day, the lady who was responsible for spreading the rumor learned that it was completely untrue. And so she was really very sorry about what she had done and she needed to find out what to do. So the story goes that she went to a wise old sage to find out what she could do to repair the damage and to to fix what she had done. Well, after listening to her problem, he said to her, he said, this is what I want you to do. Go to the marketplace and, and purchase a chicken and have it killed. He's talking about like a live chicken. Have it killed. And then, then on your way home, I want you to pluck its feathers one by one and drop them along the pathway. Well, she heard this. She was a little bit taken aback. She was surprised, but she thought, well, this guy, he's supposed to be the wisest man around. So I'll do what he did, says. And so she did as she was told. Well, the next day she would it went back to the this wise old guru and, and she inf- informed the man that she had done as he instructed. And so uh, he looked at her and he said, okay. Now here's what you do. Now go back and collect all those feathers and bring them back to me. Well, the lady went out and she followed the same path that she had taken from the marketplace to her home. But to her dismay, the wind had blown all the feathers away. And after searching all day long, she returned with only two or three in her hand, all that could be found. And this wise old man looked at her and said, you see, it's easy to drop them But it's impossible to pick them all up again. So it is with gossip. It's easy to drop the words. But once you say that, once you do that, you cannot ever unsay it. You cannot unring the bell. And the damage is going to take a long time to ever repair a friendship that's in that situation. It doesn't take much to spread a false rumor. But you can never completely undo the wrong. So the best thing to do is make sure you don't do it in the first place. So now, here's what I want to do for the last part. Because we've talked about these things and it's rarely personal. Okay, I hear this. I need to make sure I'm not a complainer. I need to get that under control in my life. Maybe the Holy Spirit's dealing with you there. Or or, or, or maybe you're looking at your life and you're just saying, you know what? I, I have a problem with gossip and the Lord's been dealing with me with this. I got to get this under control with his help, that sort of thing. But here's what, I, that's that's on a personal level. What I want to do next is I want us to talk about what do I do when I'm approached by a complainer or a gossiper? Because this is how it relates to friendship. Because these other things, we learn how damaging it can be. We 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 see how God hates it. We see all of these things. But now, what we need to know, need to know is, if we're talking about in the context of friendship, what do I do when I have that person that comes to me and wants to complain about everything and wants to gossip about everybody? What do I do? Well, I'm, give you, I'm going to give you some very real, practical down to earth examples and some answers to this. Okay. So the number one thing, first of all, before you talk, before you listen to complaining or gossiping, apply what's what we're going to call the think principle. T H I N K apply the think principle and each of those letters stands for something. So to help you remember, apply the think principle. Number one, you ask yourself, is it true? Is this true if you can't answer that question if you don't know for for certain that it's true You need to be done with it already That's the first step. Is it true? But that's not enough, is it? We already talked about the fact that something can be true and still be harmful or hurtful, and it can still uh, you you can deal you can handle something that is true in a way that causes division and causes problems and hurts people. So so that's not that's not alone. That's not the only criterion, but that's the first step. H, is it helpful? Is what what we're saying what we're talking about? Is it helpful at all? Does it add anything to it? Is it any way bringing a solution to it, or is it just here stirring the pot, getting me all stirred up, getting emotions stirred up? Is it helpful? Here's the I. This is a good one. Is it inspirational? Is it something that is uplifting, or is it something that's tearing down? Number four. Is it necessary? All of these things, even if all those other things beforehand are are there, ask yourself, is this conversation, is this what I'm about to say or what this person's saying to me? Do do we really need to have this conversation now? And then number five, and this may be the one that deals, that, that takes care of a lot of it, is it kind? Is it kind? Or are these words going to be hurtful to somebody else? Is it kind? You know, Gordon McDonald, well-known Christian writer, speaker, he tells a story about a time when he was in Japan on a speaking tour. And he was on this tour with a close friend of his who was actually a number of years older than he was. Which, by the way, if you have friends that are older than you are, especially if they've walked with the Lord for, the, for a while... You need to make sure you're open to hear what they have to say because they have learned some things they've been through some things and they've learned a lot of things the hard way and if we'll, if you open yourself and listen to them i'm not saying everything they say is right but if you open yourself and pay attention sometimes they have words of wisdom they can speak into your life but they'll only do it if they know you're open to hearing it anyway as Gordon McDonald was walking down the the street with this close friend of his who was a little bit older, and they they were walking down the street in Yokohama, and and the name of a common friend of theirs came up, and and in response, Gordon McDonald said something unkind about that person. He he said it was sarcastic, it was cynical, and it was a put-down. And as they're walking, and he said this, all of a sudden his older friend just stopped turned and faced Gordon until his face was, was right in front of his face. And with slow, deep words, he said, Gordon, a man who says he loves God would not say a thing like that about a friend. I'm going to say that again. Gordon, a man who says he loves God would not say that a, a thing like that about a friend. Gordon later wrote, about that moment, he said he could have he could have put a knife into my ribs and the pain would not have been any less. He writes, but you know something? There have been a thousand times in the last 20 years that I have been saved from making a jerk of myself. When I've been tempted to say something unkind about a brother or sister, I hear my friend's voice say, Gordon, a man who says he loves God would not speak in such a way about a friend. That's, that needs to echo in our hearts, in our minds. When we're tempted to say something that's unkind, that's cutting, that we know would be hurtful, we need to remember and let that, those words echo in our minds that, hey, a person who truly loves God would not speak like that about a friend. He would not speak like that about someone who's created in the image of God. He would not speak like that about a, a fellow member of the body of Christ. That's And if I really love God, I'm going to love the people around me. You know, I've always I've always thought it was really one of the dumbest things when people say, well, I love Jesus, I just can't stand the church. So you love Jesus, but you hate his body. So you love Jesus, but you hate his bride. You know, I, listen, I don't know about you, but somebody comes up to me and says, Pastor Dave, I just want you to know, I really like you. I think you're a great guy, but man, I just can't stand your wife you guess what? It's not going to go very well. We're not going to be friends. We're not going to hang out because if you love me, you love my wife. And listen, if you love Jesus, you love his bride. Don't tell me you love Jesus, but you hate the church because that doesn't make any sense at all. You don't love Jesus in that case. And, and, And I need to know that if I really love his bride, if I really love him, I'm not going to say something that's going to injure his bride. Apply the think principle. Is it true, helpful, inspirational, necessary, and kind? And Here's the second thing to do. In response to them, this is what you can say to them. The first thing you need to ask them is this question. Have you talked to this person about this? When somebody comes to you and they say, man, have you, have you heard what so-and-so did or what so-and-so said before they say anything else? You need to stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me ask you this before you say anything else. Have you talked with so-and-so about it? What did Jesus say in Matthew 18, 15? If your fellow believer sins against you, go and tell him in private what he did wrong. If he listens to you, you have helped that person to be your brother or sister again. Jesus said, listen, if you've got a problem, if there's something that somebody does, what do you do? You go to that person. The first step when there's a problem is to talk to the person, not about the person. And if that person comes to you, if that gossiper uh, uh, has not talked to the person, then in that moment, very gently, very humbly, very uh, lovingly, as much as you can, end the conversation. Because if they say, well, no, I haven't talked to him. They say, well, listen, before we talk about anything, you need to go to them. That's what Jesus said to do. And so I love you. But, but, if, but if you have a problem, you need to talk with them first. If they won't listen, then you come to me. Then we can go together. Well, they might not like it at first because people like to share what they know. They like the, the gossip. It feels good. It's just something about it. It's like a drug almost. But 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 I can tell you this that person also knows you're not going to gossip about them. So it's a very really important thing to do. And here's here's the, the third thing, the, the next question to ask them. Um have you have you talked to this person about this? Here's a really, really good question. And this puts a, an end to a lot of stuff. Ask them this question. May I quote you on this? Yeah, we'll let that roll out there for a minute. May I quote you on this? Well, listen, those that are in only interested in sharing gossip, they're going to balk about being quoted. No, 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 don't put my name on it. I don't, I don't want that. No, 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 don't. You know, I mean, as I, I've told board members in the past, you know, when somebody came to them, and they came to the, to, to talk to me and say, well, somebody in the church, you know, have this problem. And I say, well, who is it? Well, they want to be anonymous. I say, well, we're not going to talk about it then. There's no point in that. You know, you, you can't allow anonymous people to, to control what you do. And, and so I would, I would tell, I told them, I'd say, listen, here's what you need to do. When they come to you, you ask them and say, listen, I'll talk with pastor, but may I quote you on this? Most of the time they say, oh, no, 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 Don't don't worry about it. Just they just drop it because they want the anonymity. They want secrecy. They want to hide behind the curtain. But here I want you to hear this very clearly. Secrecy is not a friend of the truth. Secrecy is not a friend of the truth. If they're not willing to have their name attached to it then that's a red flag, that's a huge red flag that you need to, at that moment in time, in the conversation and say, well, then if I can't quote you on this, there's nothing we really have to talk about. And here's the thing for us that we have to remember in that moment. When that person comes to us, when we walk through the think principle, when we ask them, have you talked to the person uh, uh, about this, when we ask them, may I quote you on these things, we have to make sure that when we do it, that our hearts are in the right place. All of it must be done with love and with humility. I can't come off as holier than thou and better. You know, you can't look at them and say, have you talked to them about this? No, I haven't. Well, get out of here. What's wrong with you, you dirty heathen? What's, What's your problem? Don't you know what Jesus said? No, you have to approach it with love. You have to approach it with humility. Because if you don't, then they're walking in that sin, but you're falling into a whole different sin sin of pride sin of judgmentalism so you have to be very careful uh, uh, and putting on a condescending holier than thou attitude the the truth is that's no better than complaining or gossiping it's still a sin and you know you know what we do can i just say this what we like to do is uh, we, we we get upset at other people's sin all the all the time you know what we're really doing when we do that we're just getting angry because they sin differently than we do It's like, well, they gossip. I don't gossip. No, but apparently you walk in spiritual pride. So, you have to approach it. You have to approach the whole situa- situation with love, with humility, that you really care for them. Your whole goal in this is not to expose the gossiper. It's not to to, to wake them up and shake them and, and you know and let them you know be exposed to the body as uh, as the gossiper that they are. The point of all of it is reconciliation. You want that person to be reconciled with the one about whom they're gossiping. You want them to be reconciled with the one about whom they're complaining. And you want to be reconciled with them. The whole goal is to bring the body together and to bring healing in the body so that we can be united. Because here's here's the thing. I guarantee you, the greatest tool that the enemy will use to try to thwart a church is, is going to be division. One way or another, it's division. Because when we are divided, we are powerless. And we're fighting against each other, whether it's, you know, in a large group or even individually. And, and we're powerless. But the Bible makes it very, very clear that there is power in unity. Whenever two or three what? agree on uh, as touching anything on earth it will be done in heaven we know that there's power in agreement there's power in unity when they were building the tower of babel in the old testament the what does the bible say god says hey we can't let them do this because if they if they are unified nothing will be impossible for them there's power in unity so we need to recognize that the enemy will attack to try to bring division. He will attack and try to get you discontented with something in the church or in somebody else's life in the church. He will try to attack and get you to gossip to bring division or to complain and cause uh, people to take up camps uh, one side against another. The, uh, the other. He will try to work division because he knows when he gets us divided, he gets us powerless. But when we come together and we say, we're not going to let this stuff slide. But in a spirit of love and humility, we're going to find a way to be reconciled. Then the power of God is unleashed in that that church. And God is able to flow through that church in ways that, that we probably can't even imagine. A true friend does not allow a friend to freely participate in activities that are destructive to their well-being, even their spiritual well-being, without attempting to rescue them. We talked about it earlier a few weeks ago in the different message series. If you have a child who can't swim, who jumps into a, a pool, you don't just stand by and say, well, you know, I don't want to jump in because it'll mess up my hair. You know, I got this 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 new clothing on. I don't want to jump in there because it's going to ruin my clothing, the outfit. I'll I just won't look very good after I do that. Or or you know, I'm busy doing something else. Somebody else go take care of that. No, if your child jumps in, you don't hesitate. You don't care about anything else. You jump in to save the drowning child. And a true friend, who sees a friend. Who who is, who is participating in things that will destroy them and will bring division in the church or division uh, between them and another bo- person in the body of Christ, a true friend doesn't ignore that. A true friend jumps in and says, listen, this is not going to be fun. This may be messy, but I'm going to be used by God. And through his grace, with his help, one way or another, we're going to find a way to bring reconciliation. There will be unity. That's what a true friend does. We need to know that complaining and gossiping are cancers of the soul. They eat away at you. And don't be fooled into thinking that they're small sins that don't really matter. The Bible doesn't make it small sins. Many Israelites died in the wilderness because they chose to complain about what God had given to them. They suffered because they chose to grumble and murmur. So we know God takes a critical complaining spirit very, very seriously, and so should we. And then with gossip, the Apostle Paul recognized the power of gossip to destroy the church, and, and he did not hesitate to list gossiping alongside of other sins like God-haters, murderers, those sort of things. Gossip is right there with murderers, murderers. That's where Paul puts it in the list of sins. Gossip destroys lives, Gossip devastates churches. And idle, useless words have power. And they can divide a church, they can destroy its effectiveness, or our words can bring unity. We, listen, we have a responsibility to protect the unity and effectiveness of this church by refusing to participate in complaining or gossiping. Each of us, has a responsibility to restore our friends, to help them grow. Our our loyalty to Christ must transcend all other loyalties. Don't love your friendships more than you love your God. And it will take moral courage to stop a gossip. It will take moral courage to face up to a complainer. It takes courage to refrain from gossip when others around you are delighting in it. It takes courage to stand up for the absent person who is being abused verbally. It takes courage to be a real man of God or true woman of God by holding fast to your your ideals and your convictions when it causes you to be looked upon as strange and peculiar. It takes courage to be talked about and to remain silent when a word would justify you in the eyes of others, but which you cannot speak without injury to another person. Oh, I've been there. I've been there where things were being said about me that were, that were so twisted and so wrong. And yet I could have, I could have gone to another person in one situation and said, no, listen, They told you this, but I want you to hear the other thing that they said. But I didn't do it because I knew if that person heard what they said, it would be devastating to them. And I said, I can't do that. I'll take it. I'll take the suffering rather than cause division there. It takes courage to refuse to do something that is wrong, even though everybody else is doing it. It takes courage to live according to your own convictions. Here's what I've learned over the years. Doing what needs to be done is rarely easy. But that does not excuse us from our responsibilities before God. Our allegiance to Christ and doing what's right with the proper attitude must be greater than any other loyalty. And and let me just say this. uh, I'm not preaching this because I think, man, we got a problem with this in the church. I'm, I haven't heard of anything like this. I just feel like this is what the Lord laid on my heart and this is where we are. And and I just feel like this is what God wants to do in us. He wants us to safeguard our unity because he wants to do something powerful. He wants to do something great in this church and through this church, but it's not, it only happens when we come together as one and we're on the same page and we're walking together and we love each other deeply. And we have the kind of relationships that are deep enough where we can go to the, the, our friends and say, listen, I see this in your life. What's going on. And maybe they're able to say, Oh no, no, you misunderstood that. And it's all cleared up. Or maybe you go to them and you say, I see this, what's happening. And they say, yeah, you're right, I've I've really been struggling here. Thank you for loving me enough to talk to me about. But today, if you're guilty of having a negative, critical, complaining spirit, I beg you, go to God in repentance. Go to Him and say, God, you've shown me today that I have an ungrateful heart. I have been complaining Because I have not been satisfied with what you've given to me. Forgive me. Let him begin to change your heart. You need to realize that if you, if you constantly find yourself giving in to the temptation to gossip or to listen to gossip, listen, that is so tempting. Everybody wants to hear the latest. But if that's where you are, then you need to go to God and say, Lord, I realize how serious this is. This is not a little, little thing. Confess your sin to God, ask Him to forgive you, and then let Him, by the strength of His Spirit, begin to change you so that you refuse to participate anymore. Now, it's going to be really hard at first if you've been involved in gossip because somebody's going to want to call you because they know you like to listen. That's what I've learned about gossipers. They always call the people first who they know will listen. And if you, if you refuse to listen, they stop calling. So there you go. If you, if you need some space there, that's how you do it. Just say, oh, no, I can't do this anymore. But just realize there's the, the power of your words and learn to use them carefully. Watch, watch this short video and then we're, we're going to close. <coughs>
1: Did you know the longest word in the English dictionary is numino ultramicroscopic silico-volcano-coniosis, consisting of 45 letters? It's a lung disease, in case you were wondering. The average person speaks 16,000 words per day. The longest printed sentence in an English language novel is 13,955 words, written by Jonathan Coe. The shortest story ever written is six words long, authored by Ernest Hemingway, with a total of 25 letters, which happens to be 11 letters less than it takes to write out 13,955. During the Civil War, Edward Everett delivered a speech at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania that consisted of over 13,500 words and lasted for two hours. Abraham Lincoln followed it up with 268 words in two minutes. It gave newfound hope to a bloodied nation and is considered one of the greatest speeches in American history. On August 28, 1963, a Baptist minister from Atlanta, Georgia, spoke 1578 words that changed the course of a nation. 28 years before that, An idealistic European Prime Minister's words were instrumental in changing the course of the world. Words can define a vision. No matter how sinister the vision might be. Some words are by mothers, others by monsters. But do our words matter? Words that build up, or words that demoralize? Words that challenge, or words that excuse? Words that unite, that tear apart. Do they matter? Is anyone listening? Or are they just words?
0: Our words matter. What you say matters. How you use your tongue matters. In in ways that go way beyond anything you can imagine, Your words can heal or your words can destroy. So I urge you as we close this service today, make sure that you use your words to bring reconciliation, to bring unity, and not to divide and and complain and gossip. We We want God to do what He wants to do in this place, don't we? Somebody say amen. That means we got to make sure we watch our tongue. We control our tongue. As James said, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's set on fire from hell. And no man can t- tame the tongue. But here's the good news. Jesus can tame your tongue. He will help you. He will empower you. He will do what you can't do if you'll turn to Him and let Him do what He wants to do. Amen. Would you bow your head? Together with me, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come into your presence today, we see, Lord God, that the tongue can be so destructive. And our words have such power and our words can bring division. Our words can cause hatred. Our words can, can even thwart the will of God in a church and in a community. And so, God, we recognize that. And today, as we've looked at your word and we, we see and we understand The, the, the sins of the tongue of gossiping and complaining that they're not little things. And God, for any of us that are here that have a spirit of, that complains about everything, I pray Jesus that you'd help us to realize that, that we, that we would be able to see that we have a, an issue in our heart, that we have an ungrateful heart. And that's why we're complaining because, because we're saying what you're doing, what you've done, what you have going on in our lives is not good enough. And so, God, I pray that we would repent before you and we would say, God, no, I want what you want for me. And and even if I don't understand it, even if I don't like it, I believe that you're working for my good. And God, if there's those of us here that realize that that our words uh, of gossip have uh, uh, that, that are not helpful, but they're they're hurtful and they destroy and they divide that, God, that we would just come before you and repent and say, God, forgive me. That just feeds my flesh when I hear those things and it's so salacious and I like to hear it. Maybe, it, maybe it's because it makes me feel better because I feel a little better than them. I don't know, God, but help us to repent before you and to say, God, I want to make sure that I use my words to bring healing to the body of Christ and healing to relationships and healing in situations rather than division and destruction. And God, I pray that if if there are any of us that we have a friend, a a, a, a f- fellow brother or sister in Christ who is caught up in some of these things, and 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 this week, Lord, when they come to us, I pray that you'd give us first of all compassion, fill us with your love, fill us with 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 uh, with the uh, with your love to be able to see them and to be able to deal with it. And give us the courage that we need in that moment to, first of all, apply that think principle. And second of all, to be able to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Have you done the right thing? Have you talked with this person yet? And if not, that that, Lord, we would just end the conversation and say, listen, I I love you, but I, I just can't do this. And Lord, we can't control how they react. They might get angry. They might go out and gossip about us. We can't control that. But God, in that moment, we know that we're pleasing you. And you're more important than any other relationship. With heads bowed and eyes closed and there's nobody looking around. Listen, I don't know where anybody is. As I said, I, I, I didn't preach this message today in response to anything that I've heard or that I think is happening. This is just what I felt like God laid on my heart today. And and so maybe, maybe there's somebody here today that the Lord has set up a divine appointment for you. And you say, Pastor, I really, I really want to acknowledge that God is speaking to me and I want you to pray for me. And because, and I'm not going to ask which one or anything like that. It doesn't matter. But you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me because God has dealt with me about an issue going on in my heart and I need to make it right with him. Is there anybody? Just slip your hand up right where you are, all over the place, their hands all over the place. You're not alone. You're not alone. And maybe maybe you know somebody that you know they're going to come this week sometime. And they're going to have some story to tell, and they're going to tell you the latest info on somebody or some situation, or they're going to come and start complaining to you. And and you just say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because I need to have the courage to be able to speak to this person in love and to to end the conversation. I don't I don't want to be party up to it any longer. And would you, if that's you, slip your hand up? And you say, Pastor, pray for me. I know somebody. I know I'm going to have to have a conversation, and I don't look forward to it but ask God to give me strength and courage and wisdom. Yes, I several hands. Father, you saw us, you see us, you know where we are. First of all, God, for those that raised their hand and said that they need to repent, God, I pray that they would do that. I can't repent for them, but I pray, God, that right now, even as I'm praying, that is where they're seated, they would just simply say, just confess their sin. And as they do that, God, your word says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, that you are faithful and just to, con- to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, God, we confess. We confess. We say, Lord, I am a gossip, and I want you to set me free from this. Or, God, I'm, I'm a complainer. Help me to have a grateful heart and to stop complaining, but instead to speak words of, of faith and 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 believing that you're you're in control. And Lord if there's for the others in this place, I just pray God that when that person comes that we would have the moral courage to be able to speak up, but Lord that we would do so in the in the holy spirit in in a spirit of love and compassion and give us the wisdom in the moment that we need. And I pray, God, that you would just help us. And Lord, as we do this, let us be a church. Let us be a body that pursues unity. That at all costs, we we preserve the unity of this body because, Lord, we know you can do great things through us when we're marching step step uh, uh, by step together, arm in arm, and we're being used by you. And God, I pray that as we prepare to leave this place, that you'd help us to remember what you're saying to us. All week long, let this message keep coming back. Don't let this be a one-time thing, but God, let this be a moment that begins transformation. And we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.